the truth that I most definitely from. That's right. When the tie is just as good as the win. Uh, your other team did get a win. Wait, I was going to get to that. <laughs> when you start the day with an emphatic 2020 tie and make a statement that you're in the playoff mix, when you say to yourself, we can punt in overtime and play for the tie and get the ball back and actually have a field goal into a Category 5 win, and it falls short, and realize, Scott Harris, that the tie was just as good as a victory in the wild card race in the NFC for the New York football giants. Then, to cap it off by just crushing the Cleveland Cavaliers, 92-81 at the Garden, to improve to two games under 500. That makes it a very good day. Yes. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome. Monday edition of the Vita Sports. First Monday Show of December, by the way. Yeah, it is. I'm Mark Daniels. That's Scott Harris over there. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? What are you wearing? It's a t-shirt. What does it say? It says hello here. Got cats on it. Well, it's from uh, Batman, Batman, uh, Batman Returns. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's got. It's, it's also got a, a a duck on it too. What's not to like? Exactly. Wow. Okay. How you doing? Uh, good. A uh, coaching hire. Here we go. Let's go. Scott Satterfield. Yep. In. Somebody sent me a text this morning that says they're not even sure Louisville and Cincinnati are two different schools. They just kind of are the same school that just play. Uh, a little bit of an eye popper in the sense of Scott Satterfield, when Louisville came to UCF, may have been a loss of way of getting fired. And UCF lost to Louisville. Now, they got Jeff Collins fired after the Georgia Tech game. And then Satterfield goes on to win enough games. Where you're like, all right, I guess we'll keep him. And then he bounces to Cincinnati. Which some go, hmm, what, 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 what's going on there? And if you're Scott Satterfield, bravo. Why? Because you just went from still a hot seat in Louisville to getting new guaranteed money going to Cincinnati. It's a six-year deal. Smart move. So now whether Cincinnati fans are like, wait a minute. We got a chance to get Satterfield? Hello. I don't know about that. Um, we'll get to some of the coaching hires of uh, the... And we've got wall-to-wall transfer portal coverage This today? is kind of like... Uh... Signing day? No, no, no. This is like, you know, when the NBA opens free agency and like every three minutes, you know, you get this or that. And DJ Uwe Gaungle of DJ Clemson Uwe, yeah. enters the portal and instantly tells you that Florida's offered him which tells you that Anthony Richardson is not coming back. They're not out there throwing out those offers. So, uh, yes, this will be interesting. We'll get to the portal and all that stuff. But uh, how was your weekend? It was great. It was good, yeah. What a dinner Friday night in New Orleans. Pick a card? Redfish Grill. Okay. Right at the beginning of Bourbon Street. Mm -hmm. And I did not go further down. But uh, uh, So we get in Friday. Good weather? Can I share a little bit of an ego story for a second? Sure. So we're staying at the Hyatt downtown, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, fake hotel. Very confusing elevators. You, you, you like, wonder the lobby takes they go, you to... They go up and down. It's not that hard to understand. The lobby takes you to the third floor. It's not the first floor where you really need to go sometimes. Uh-huh. And then certain elevators only go to certain floors and all that stuff, right? 
Um, or, Scott, it's one of those that has the uh, the floor pad outside, like you have to press what floor you're going to, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get inside the elevator. There's no buttons. Mm. I can't tell you how many times people got on looking for the Where's the buttons? Well, you got to press outside and then had to go up and, okay, anyway. So, we get there on Friday, and I go down to one of the meeting rooms because Gus is going to be coming back from a press conference that the American had at Tulane. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the ESPN guys are in there. So it's Dave Pash, Dusty Dvorak, and Tom mm. Luganville are doing the game. Oh, right? Lugs. You like Lugs. I walk in, Luganville comes up and goes, Mark, great to see you. Like, oh, nice. Normally you go in, you're like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And they're like, well, I'm in the ESPN. Luganville, he's like one of the nicest people. He comes over. Yeah, he's been he's like, hey, man, yeah. how you doing? It's like legitimate friend talk, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it didn't last that long, right? Um... And, uh, you know, then you go around and say hello, and Dave Pash was kind of a little bit, mm-hmm. I got a little bit of the, yeah, I'm Dave Pash. Eh, it, it was okay. No, he's not sure. Oh. No. Um, but nice guy. Doesn't talk much during the uh, coach's Q&A. Mm-hmm. Dusty Dvorak, the color analyst. Yeah. A lot of questions. Uh, and, and I'll say this. That dude, that dude does his prep. That dude... I mean, he knew stuff like, and watched film, and broke this down, that down. Okay, uh, really good stuff there. So then we go out to eat, and we walked. It was about a mile to the restaurant, okay? Uh, and Redfish Grill is fantastic. Just great food. Uh, so I had the alligator seafood gumbo. Ooh. A little bit of kick in the spice there. Da-da, yeah. Then Scott Adams and I shared a couple of appetizers. Gator boudin balls. Mm-hmm. Wow. Really good, with a little grape jelly to go with it. The barbecue oysters, half dozen of those. Yeah. Really good. And then we I would decided, have never pictured you as an oyster guy. I like oysters. Yeah. I don't have them often, but, but and again, barbecued it, it you know, breaded and, and yeah. with the, uh, and then we split two uh, dishes. They're famed redfish on the wood plank with a great combination of vegetables and Sausage, it was unbelievable. And then the chef special that night, Dungeness crab mm-hmm. that came with um, hush puppies, a gouda mac and cheese with more sausage. That sounds delicious. Oh, 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 that was insane! That was insane. And the crab was uh, what, 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 what was really really good. Um, so great meal, great company. You know, it was a really good time. We left a few a few people went left. Mm-hmm. Down Bourbon Street, I was in the group that went right to the hotel. I had to go back to the hotel. Um, I can tell this story, okay? The next morning, I told Scott Adams, I said, look, I'm going to I'm gonna run, and then I want to go to Cafe Du Monde for breakfast. Mm-hmm. If you want to go, just text me. I don't want to bother you. If you sleep in, you sleep in, whatever. So we get back to the hotel. I go upstairs. I watch the USC-Utah game, went to bed. I get up at 545, so I go downstairs, and I'm going to go run, okay? Foggy. Mm-hmm. dark and foggy and so forth. But, oh. but but it was good. It was great. It was beautiful. It was like no humidity. It was like 65, 66 degrees. And then Scott texts me and says, hey, I'm downstairs. Um, okay. He goes, I got a story to tell you. So he gets back from their just walk down to Bourbon Street and it's down to the wee hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. And then he gets back and he stopped and talked to a few people at the bar. Then he gets the one person that is explaining why they don't trust the medical profession and all like, and Scott's like, okay, and out comes a chef that apparently just got fired wielding a knife. Oh, okay. 
and he's screaming back at, I guess, whoever may have fired him and so forth. And next thing you know, hotel security tackles the guy. Then he's Mm. crying and everything. In that situation, Mm. once you've determined that your life is no longer threatened, if you've ordered potato skins, are you wondering, did the order get put in or who's in charge of that now? When was this prepared, before or after? I don't know. It's a valid question. Uh, So that happened. Yeah. So then we went walking to Cafe Du Monde. And we had a great walk, and again, the sun's coming up, and the fog's out there. We'll go by Jackson Square. It was a perfect time. It's not quite out of Cafe Du Monde. You know, then you got this, the, the, the street musician and singer. <laughs> Just because you're outside Cafe Du Monde mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're good. Okay. And it's one of those, like, come on, man, this isn't good. Like, the singing's not good. And the horn play isn't even that good. But it, it just kind of added to the atmosphere and everything. And... uh Got a couple of beignets, so it was really good, and the coffee, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. So that was the morning. Bring yeah, some the, coffee back? The game went the game. No, I, I did bring a third beignet back for my wife. Oh, nice. That's um, nice of you. So, uh, yeah, the game was the game. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. So that was the trip. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was about all. One, one, small, one small moment yesterday, public shopping. Mm-hmm. One small moment. Okay. I was by the area getting deli meat. Somebody asked the, 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 the person behind the counter, when will the rotisserie chickens be done? This is at uh, 9.15, so it's early. Okay, it's early. And the woman behind says, it's going to be about 25 minutes. Why, why would the follow-up be not sooner? Yeah. You think she's holding back on it, that? Exactly, like it's going to yeah. be 10, but she tells you 25? It'll be about 25 minutes. Not to mention, there's the clock right there that is counting down. To when it's done, yeah. He goes, not sooner? Would you like it raw? I mean, I guess, right? <laughs> Do you want to get sick? Because I mean, that's how you get sick. She's not holding back on you right there. It's just that, that, you know, that's the number. So, all right. We got college football playoffs that are set. Um, I found a few things interesting about what happened and then what the committee did. We got coaches on the move. Uh, Dion's going to Colorado. Uh, Dion told his Colorado players to jump in that portal. Oh, I watched the whole video. Actually, there are many videos, including the part he goes, that's your quarterback, because he points to his son. <clears throat> I would imagine the two guys that played this year for Colorado are kind of like, huh. So where's the form for the portal? You click here. Is it enter here? Is this the one that you... And by the way, my guess is Dion would prefer that 80% of the players he spoke to are leaving. That's what... That's, of yeah. a one of 11 teams, so... Uh, We'll get to that. Uh, Some of the NFL. uh, Dolphins uh, lose. Uh, The Niners season takes a turn with another injury to Jimmy G. uh, And much more on the NFL and the weekend that was. We come back with what was in New Orleans. The storyline on the field, on the sideline, and all that stuff next. The Beat of Sports brought to you by friends at Florida Citrus Sports. Enjoy bowl season. With our friends at Florida Citrus Sports. Uh, they got a couple of really good matchups. Um, Cheese It Bowl. Florida State and Oklahoma uh, is an interesting matchup. As I said to Mike on the uh, bridge, if you're a Seminole fan, you just get a chance to celebrate uh, in Florida to see your team play. And um, that's great. That'll be on Thursday, December the 29th. Oklahoma and uh, Florida State's 530 uh, slot there. And then uh, celebrate... The uh, Cheez-It Citrus Bowl on January the 2nd when LSU takes on Purdue. 
Uh, get information by going to floridacitrusports.com and tickets at ticketmaster.com. Um, there's a column up at 96 on thegame.com. The Monday Notebook is up. You can go. I encourage you to read it. We want all the hits and clicks, and we need the clickbait, right? I mean, that's what we do, Scott. Just put it up there. Yeah. Also, read the column, send it to five friends. Yeah, right. Tell them to send it to five right, friends. Right, right, right. Um, so, I spoke at length with Mike on the bridge. Some of them I'm going to repeat right now, and other bits of information I'll pass along. And I said this to Mike, and again, I'll repeat here. Uh, all opinions within reason are fair when it comes to UCF and what happened one in the game and, 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 and two about what happened with Mikey Keene. I think all parties can agree you do not know that the outcome is different if Mikey Keene is available to play in the game. That would be insulting to Tulane, who's really good. They went 11-2. and two. Um, They've got a very good football team, uh, a, a, a running back that is going to play in the National Football League, a quarterback that may also play in the National Football League, a very good defense that allowed less than 20 points a game this season, and they earned... Uh, the conference regular season title, and, and and earned the victory on Saturday and deserved to go to the Cotton Bowl. And I think we'll play well against a USC team that may not care to be there. So it would be insulting to say that about Tulane. Uh, I don't know what the outcome would have been if Mikey Keene started and played, came into the football game and played. Um, I've called every play of UCF football for the last 28 years, and last time I checked, he didn't play defense. And UCF gave up almost 650 yards in that football game to Tulane, who has a very talented offense. But a lot of things may be fair and right in looking at the story of all that on Saturday. Meaning, no one right now understanding the business and the era of player movement in college football would argue whether it's Mikey Keene or Scott Harris, who I don't think is eligibility left. Um, Never started that clock, baby. You do what you feel is best for you. It's not being selfish. It's first and foremost, what is best for you? Let us not forget, players choose to play for our favorite teams. We don't get the right to tell them when they can stay and when they can go. We root for teams for different reasons. Okay? Um... They bring us joy. They bring us sadness. You invest with your money. You invest with your emotion. They make us feel good. They make us feel miserable. And yet we keep coming back because it's an addiction that is hard to break. When you fall in love with a team, you accept that they're going to break your heart. And when they make you happy, they bring you a level of joy that's hard to match sometimes. So because of that, you have to balance along the way the emotion part of it and understanding the business side of it. And whether you think it's fair or not, they do collide. It is okay if the fan in you, in this particular case, wonders what would have happened if he played. And I gave earlier, and I'll repeat now, the, 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 the fan part of this. In the football game, um, UCF is down 10 nothing. And at the start of the game, you can see John Rice Plumley does not have that run burst. First play of the game, runs for eight yards. He slides when, I don't know if that would have been the case if he's not hurt. But you can just see, doesn't have the same explosion. UCF brings in Thomas Castellanos on a drive after Tulane scores to go up 10 nothing. 
That's his fifth game. Redshirt is gone. He runs on a third down to put UCF in a fourth and short, and then John Rice Plumley tries to get outside to elude a defensive player, and he can't. And he's tackled for a loss of a yard, and UCF turns it over at the 23. Plumley comes out. He's hurt. He's on the sideline. The medical team's looking at him. Quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Daniels from the Beat of Sports. Tulane gets the football back. Incomplete pass. Nine-yard pass. And then, on third and short, UCF stops Tajay Spears. And fourth down, the offense is on the field, and you're thinking they're going to try to draw you offside. But they actually snap it, and Michael Pratt is stopped on fourth down at the Tulane 32. UCF gets the ball back, and Thomas Castellanos comes back on the field. UCF scores on the drive. Xavier Townsend, very exciting freshman, he he, he runs in from five yards, and it's 10-7. You're thinking, okay, all right. Now you can settle things down. Well, no, you can't because Tulane gets a 43-yard touchdown pass. They score in four plays, 75 yards, and it's 17-7. Then the Knights get a number of empty possessions. And after the adrenaline rush of Castellanos in the game, they score a touchdown. Now he's got to go the length of the field. And now Tulane's defense knows you've got an inexperienced quarterback. I think Thomas Castellanos has a lot of talent. I think he could be a very good quarterback. Um, He throws a great ball but he'd not been in that environment. The four games he played earlier in the season um, were different situations. And then after the touchdown, here's UCF series. Three and out, punt. Three and out with back-to-back sacks, punt. An interception by Devontae Brown, who just entered the transfer portal, uh, gives him the ball at the 41 with 18 seconds to go. Castellano ends up throwing a Hail Mary in the end zone. Half ends. Back out in the second half. UCF punt, three and out punt. Those were the possessions that they went empty, didn't get anything back. Plumley comes back in. UCF goes touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown. And does make it a three-point game. We'll get back to that in a second. If Mikey Keene is an option... Instead of Castellanos, does UCF win? I don't know. Maybe it's a well. It, it, it is a different offense. He's got more experience. It doesn't mean that UCF's defense is going to stop Tulane, but the game maybe goes a different path. Maybe you know Tulane now has to adjust uh, in a different way. And yet, despite that, and Plumley comes back in the game. Get back to Keen in a moment. Get back in the game. It's thirty-one twenty-eight. And despite all of the struggles by UCF's defense, they've got Tulane in a third down and eight with a chance to get the football back after it was 31-28. Incomplete pass, two-yard run, third down and eight. Get a stop, get off the field, and get the football back. They blitz. Michael Pratt finds the receiver. Needed eight, got 13. Next play, 60 yards. Touchdown. Shea Wyatt. And it's 38-28. And again, you're trying to play catch-up. Next possession, you find yourself on fourth down. Plumley can't run, rolls out, gets hit, and then Tulane scores again, and uh, game over. On the Mikey Keene side, only Gus Malzahn and Mikey Keene know the extent of their conversations, plural. Meaning, 
you would think at some point before the start of the season when Gus Malzahn named John Rice Plumley the starting quarterback that he had a conversation with Mikey Keene. And only those two know what was said at that time. And even whatever was said then, there's a journey of a season. Malzahn and Keene and Plumley they don't know how the 12 games of the season are going to go. Everybody's always one play away of an injury, and you don't know. Uh, only Gus and Mikey Keene know what their discussion was. Maybe the discussion was, look, Coach, I respect what you've done here, uh, you know, making a decision. I may not agree with it because I think I may have worked hard to earn the job, but okay, um, ideally, I, I, you know, maybe we can keep my red shirt. Maybe right now my thought is I'll leave, but I'll stay here now because I've gone through camp, the semester starting. Uh, maybe that was their discussion. Maybe part of the discussion was, look, We'll try to keep the red shirt and maybe save it on the back end. Go look. Thomas Castellanos was the one that came in early in the season. It wasn't Mikey Keene. Maybe the plan was to keep Keene available if needed on the back end of the schedule where you knew it was going to be challenging with East Carolina on the road, Cincinnati, Memphis, Tulane. And you know what? It ended up happening. Keene plays in the Cincinnati game when Plumlee gets hit and UCF wins. Plumlee's not available the next week against Memphis. Keene's the quarterback, and they win. In the Navy football game, Plumlee is not 100%, and the offense was ineffective. You're trying to win because you want to control destiny and host the conference championship game. Uh, Keene comes in. UCF loses. Everybody knows what the numbers were. He played in three football games. Here comes a South Florida football game. My guess is Gus Malzahn is hoping that uh, John Rice Plumlee is healthy and plays the entire football game. Well, he runs for a 20-yard touchdown, and anybody that's watching sees, uh-oh, he lands, and that's a hamstring injury. Anybody see the next drive that he came in? Limps as he throws a touchdown pass to Ryan O'Keefe, comes out of the football game. That hamstring is a factor. You have to win to get to the conference championship game. Getting that second chance from the college football playoff committee, uh, okay, what are we going to do? You're up 28-7, you know? Who's my quarterback? Well, Mikey Keene comes in and plays. Uh, final drive, completes a couple of big passes. Javon Baker, 41-yard catch, and the Alec Holler catch. After the football game, Mikey Keene is asked by the media a question. It is, what do you think, a natural question to be asked. There is the emotion of winning that game, a rivalry game, that environment, what's at stake, and here's the question and here's the answer. Coach Malzahn said John Rice is dealing with a hamstring injury. This was your fourth appearance of the season. Is that something you think about in terms of your redshirt at all? Uh, you know what? No, because ultimately I just want to play and win games and do whatever I can to help this team win. So that's nothing that's on my mind right now. Uh, just we're going to a championship. That's what's on my mind. So John Rice can't go next week. You're perfectly fine to play your fifth game and may potentially burn a redshirt? Yeah, let's go win a championship. Yeah, let's go win a championship. Was Mikey Keene choosing his words carefully? Maybe. Was he misleading anybody? I don't think so. Is he caught up in the emotion of the moment? Maybe. That was Jason Beattie, the Sentinel, and then Brandon Helwig of UCF Sports who asked those two questions. Um, Only he knows that. And whatever conversation took place with Gus Malzahn and Mikey Keene after that game, they don't owe you and I an explanation. If Gus Malzahn spoke with Mikey Keene throughout the season and maybe felt, hey, this is a guy that chose to stay here 
and not leave at the beginning of the year and ask me to help him protect the year of eligibility, I'm going to do what I can because that's what he wanted. And or Mikey Keene says, um, Coach, I, I just don't think I want to play in this game. Who in today's era of college football player movement can argue the player that says, this is what I want to do because I think it's best for me. And yet, as I said a couple times, the fan part of anybody observing this says, how many times do you get to be a hero? Will you ever play in a championship game again? Would you ever be able to have a moment like this where maybe you are the difference of your team uh, that could take them to a championship victory and then on to a major bowl game, and maybe you make the coach think about what your value is in 23? I don't know. But Mikey Key made a decision that is happening across the country in college football because he has the right to do that. And I don't think anybody's upset in the big picture of him making a decision for what he thinks is best. I don't know what the market is for him. Maybe he does find a power five job that he's a starting quarterback, and I wish him nothing but the best, like I did with Dylan Gable last year, because the portal giveth, the portal taketh. Maybe he's got a bunch of teams that are seeking his services. I don't know. And yet, you're sitting there as a fan going, man, is it a different game if he's available for those possessions that I just told you are empty possessions for UCF? Maybe maybe it changes nothing. Maybe Tulane still scores 45 points. Maybe they went 45-42. I don't know. So, is it different? Of course it's different. A lot of things are different in college football. Today is different. Again, the quarterback two years ago that everybody thought was, the, was better than Trevor Lawrence, that freshman came in and, my God, he looks like a man. He went up and down the field on Notre Dame. This is the greatest quarterback ever. He's on Twitter bragging about schools offering him because he just entered the transfer portal because he just lost his job to a freshman. Which, by the way, that offer was from Florida, who clearly is in the market for a quarterback. Uh, Put two and two together. Um, So if you want to be angry at people, okay, as I often say, it's your right to be angry, but it's possible that multiple opinions can kind of fit or that several things can be correct. Uh, again, I, Gus Malzahn and Mikey Keene don't owe anybody an explanation. And, and if you think they do, then uh, okay, but they don't. You're not going to get everything explained to you as a fan. Sometimes it works in your favor, and sometimes it doesn't work in your favor. There are players that transfer to UCF that their former team could have used, and vice versa. That's going to happen. UCF has, and unless I missed something, three players this morning that have already, I mean, from last night uh, uh, announcing. And guess what? You don't think Gus is going to add players in the transfer portal? Look what he's done the last two years. Welcome to the world of player movement in college football. And sometimes it means that your team, the one that you're emotionally invested in, the one that you live for game day and you love it when they win and you want everybody fired when they lose, that team is going to do things that sometimes, one, break your heart, two, bring you joy, and three, you don't understand, and four, you don't understand because you don't know everything. There's a lot more to this. And by the way, I don't profess to know it all. There may be some things that I know, but I don't profess to know everything because it's not my 
I don't have a right to know what Gus Malzahn and Mikey Keene discuss. Neither do you. And in the end, the player chose to do something that he felt was best for him. The fan in you can think that's selfish because you root for the team to win. But I don't think anybody doesn't understand. This is what players can do, just like coaches do. They come and go. So there is no, well, if this would have happened, again, you don't know what would have happened in that game. And to think the outcome's different, that's insulting to Tulane. Could it have been a factor? Absolutely. I gave you five possessions that were empty possessions that maybe are different. And that's not criticizing one of the a talented freshman that was asked to step into a very difficult spot. When did Gus know? What do you think? He got tapped on the shoulder Thursday night? No. Well, he should have said, said what? What, what, what? what was that going to change your, your, your what, rooting level? What? He knew when he knew, whether that was one month ago, one week ago, whatever it was. He knew and prepared. And again, an angry fan's going to be an angry fan. You want to blame him for the loss? Look, that's what fans do, wins and losses. You want to blame him for, you know, again, you don't know, I don't know. I'm not coming here, but well, let me tell you, I do not know everything. Maybe some details, but I don't know everything. That's between Mikey Keenan and Gus Malzahn. And if there was a coach that said, hey, I understand and I appreciate what you're doing this year and I'll try to help you to the best that I can, there's something to be said for that. If there's a player that said, look, I, I, I'll, I'll help the team throughout the year if needed, good for him. And if there's a decision to be made like, hey, we reached this point now where there's another decision here, the player still has that right to make that decision. Now, should they change the rule that the four games should apply to the 12 game season and change it for 13? I, 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 I don't know. That's not the rule, so it, it doesn't matter now. Uh, my guess is in five years, you'll see a lot of tweaks, meaning eligibility. I, I think we may end up with players getting five years of eligibility. You might even see a, uh, a 5 3 rule meaning five years of eligibility, no more than three schools. I don't know. I I just think we'll see some sort of uh, evolution of the whole process of player movement. I, I'm not quite sure that you're going to see players bouncing every year whenever they want to four or five different schools. What about changes like you said uh, on the bridge about how like a conference championship game kind of gets thought well, I, I just brought, look, that's fine. It doesn't apply now. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody says, hey, maybe you know it should be, a five if you play 13 or 14? I, I don't know. Listen, one of the reasons why I think that rule is going to be looked at is because in the new playoff era, you may have teams play 17 games. You may have teams play 17 games. 12 in the regular season, a conference championship game, 13, and if you go through four rounds of the play, that's 17 games. Someone's going to say, wait a minute, I, I'm not quite sure the, 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 four, uh, the, you know, the four game thing works. That's fine. Maybe somebody will take a look at that. So, um, I wish Mikey Keene the best of success wherever he goes. And maybe there's a very big market for him. Maybe he doesn't need a big market. Maybe he knows exactly where he's going. I don't know. And I'll root for him. He's a great kid. I enjoyed being around him. I enjoyed calling his games. And if you're a UCF fan, he brought some big moments uh, to UCF. I think John Rice Plumley is also very talented and does some things that Mikey doesn't do and vice versa. 
and, and I do think that kid gutted it out Saturday. That kid came back in that football game um, and and played hurt and brought his team back in the football game. They make it a three-point game again, and third and eight, couldn't get a stop. That's the rooting part of it. You will love them. You will hate them. They will bring you great joy. They will break your heart. You will embrace the heroes. You will want everybody fired when they lose. You will get angry by the system that sometimes doesn't always favor you. You will embrace the system when it brings things that you help your team to get better. And that's college football today. Up next, the playoff committee chose four. A couple of interesting notes out of that. Next. Quick update in the transfer portal. Everybody but four players have entered the portal. I. Everybody. I'm putting in my paperwork right now. Former Yankee first baseman Don Mattingly has entered the uh, transfer portal. He did. He transferred to both, uh, to double, uh, Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so everybody has uh, entered the uh, transfer portal. So, Keaton Slovis, quarterback at Pitt. Something Drake May, the UNC quarterback, will enter the transfer portal. Devin O'Leary, the quarterback at NC State, has entered the portal. Uh, Tom Brady has entered the portal. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, oh, yeah. What is it? I think I just saw six ACC quarterbacks have entered the transfer portal. Probably. Um, so, so Louisville is playing Cincinnati in a bowl game. Fenway Bowl. And Scott Satterfield just left. Left uh, Louisville, Louisville to become the coach at Cincinnati. So he's going to coach both teams. Yes. Like whoever's on offense. No, he's, he's just going to flip headsets left and right. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Thoughts? What do you think? Yeah. I think that's great. I think it's a great move. Yeah. I, I I cannot keep up on my Twitter timeline of transfer portal stuff. I, I, I'm just looking like, okay, I just got to turn off for a second. Yesterday, the college football playoff committee announced uh, the field for the uh, 14 playoff. Uh, Georgia will take on Ohio State. Michigan will play Tennessee. The suspense was uh, after TCU and USC had lost. What was going to happen? I said last week, and I wrote about this, that you can make the argument the top four teams should not lose any of their spots, at least the top four. You may move them, but the committee had made a decision after the 12 games of the regular season that these are how the teams are ranked. And it was the first time in the playoff era that teams 5, 6, 7, and 8 had no game against anybody in the top four, or the other way, top four didn't play anybody in 5, 6, 7, or 8. So how could you drop someone behind teams that didn't play in a conference championship? Why would you penalize teams who made it to a conference championship game, and even though they lost, they got there? How could they fall behind someone who didn't play? The 13 versus 12 data point has been fascinating on many levels. It had hurt teams in the past by not getting that 13th data point. Go ask TCU years ago, the first time that they thought they should have got in. But when I watch USC in Utah, again, I'm human. Just like I wrote in my column today, the committee's human. You can have all the data in the world, which does help, I think, you rank teams in the weeks that you're putting out those rankings. But when you get down to very few games, the eye test becomes a much bigger factor, fair or not. Life's not fair. I do think in the course of the weeks of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, with the committee's putting out their rankings, and they're looking at a number of teams, and they do those kind of blind resumes, this team's important drives and road wins and all that stuff, 
you're using more of those analytics. But when you've done the work after the 12-game season's complete, you're not going back and really reviewing that. You already have determined that Ohio State is ahead of Alabama. So if I'm going to move somebody from the top four out, there's nothing on Alabama's resume that is going to change after the committee had already determined that Ohio State was better than them. Same deal with Tennessee. Even though you can argue Tennessee could have, should have been ahead of Alabama, they beat them head-to-head. But when USC lost to the same team for the second time on a neutral field and the way the game looked, the human part of you said, well, the committee's going to make a change here. And Ohio State's going to be the fourth team in. I mean, look at the second half. That wasn't close. Yeah, but you just said don't penalize that team. I'm not saying I would have. But I understand why the committee did it, because the eye test became a bigger factor with fewer games. And remember, the committee had one game to look at. Well, wait, didn't TCU lose? No, no, no. At that moment, they had one game to look at. That was the USC game that was being played by itself that Friday night. The committee, I'm not saying they go to bed knowing but they're making a change, but had a pretty good idea. I will make a change. If we're making a change, what team's going to benefit from this? It's Ohio State. I think before the Big 12 championship game kicks off, the committee has already said, well, Ohio State's in. We're taking USC out, and since Ohio State's behind them, they're in. Okay, what about TCU? I don't know. Let's watch a game. And in that game, take a look how it unfolds. It is basically classic TCU throughout the season. They need a fourth quarter rally. They get it. Game goes to overtime. Got a quarterback on TCU that's dragging himself around the field and everything. They lost in overtime. They went for it on fourth down. They got stopped. And TCU, uh, uh, brother Kent, said kicks a field goal. They lost. What about Alabama? I think the committee made it pretty clear that TCU was in. And I do think because they went against a respected Kansas State team where the committee only moved them up one spot, by the way, from the previous week, from 10 to 9, uh, moved them up one spot, but nonetheless respected Kansas State and felt the game was the way it went. Nail-biter overtime. Nick Saban, clearly with copy points in front of him, going on Fox and ESPN to campaign for his team to get it. I don't blame Nick as the head coach. You're going to do what you want to get your team in, but I do think Saban probably felt it was beneath him, but then realized this is my only chance. And Nick Saban with the we'd be favored... <laughs> Scott, I was expecting the Manning brothers to walk in with... Uh, Caesars with them? Yeah, to have one of those commercials. <laughs> you know? um, Nick, we see uh, we see Cooper Manning standing behind you. Could explain? Right. Well, I'm glad that you asked, guys. Right, yeah. Um, so, so I get it. But this is the part, and I mentioned this in the bridge, that I laughed at and to a degree bothered me, okay? And Nick did it, and then out came the group of SEC media propaganda people, okay? Well, if you want the four best teams, 
You want Alabama in there. You'd have Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. They got the dudes. They got the five-star guys. They got the studs. They got the players. And if you want the four best teams, and here's my question to you, when does it stop? Meaning, how many losses do they get when you can't go with the, well, they'd be favored over team blank? I don't care that they'd be favored over TCU in Fort Worth on a neutral field and clearly in Tuscaloosa. I don't argue that. But how many losses do they get when you can't use that argument? Is it is it two? Is it three? What if they lost to Texas A&M or Texas? You know what? They'd still be favored over TCU in a game. So do you put them in because they'd be favored? Then why play the games? If you're just going to do the, well, you know, they'd be favored, then just let Vegas have a consensus line, and that's our teams, and don't even play the season. Just say, hey, we're doing this as exhibitions. We're just going to judge now who would be favored. Sorry. It doesn't work that way. Well, then you're not getting the four best teams. Then you view the playoff however you want. How many losses do they get? Heck, if they lost to both Texas and Texas State, they'd they'd probably still be favored over TCU. But it doesn't mean that they get the playoff spot because of that. The other thing to note, by the way, about the playoff announcement yesterday is when we get the 12-team playoff and the model for that, the bracket, by the way, does not have those four teams as the top four teams. Not even close. Well, what do you mean? That's not how it works. In two years for the 2024 season, the 12-team playoff is the following. The six highest-rated conference champions. Okay, well, let's go through that list. Who were they? That would be Georgia. That'd be Michigan. That would be Clemson. That would be Utah, Kansas State, and Tulane. Those are the six highest-rated champions by the College Football Playoff Committee. Those are six spots locked in. After that, six at-large teams put out 12. But first and foremost, six conference champions, the highest-ranked six conference champions. Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, Utah, Kansas State, Tulane. Then six at-large teams. The top four seeds are conference champions. The top four conference champions, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, Utah. Clemson would be the third seed. Utah the fourth seed. They would not have to play a first-round game. That is the value of winning a conference championship. That is why for Utah, that would have been an even bigger win. And for Clemson, despite their ups and downs, that would be a huge win. Which, by the way, Scott, imagine this. In the 12-team playoff, right? Clemson would be a third seed. In a transfer portal world, the quarterback still enters the transfer portal on yeah, Monday. exactly. Before the team begins the playoff. Then you would have the following matchups, okay? 11-6, Penn State, Ohio State, winner playing Clemson. 10-7, USC, Alabama, winner playing Michigan. 12-5, Tulane, TCU, winner playing Utah. And 9-8, Tennessee, Kansas State, winner playing Georgia. That is what the 12-team bracket would look like if you applied the 2024 format today. Much different than the way one through four is set for this year's playoff.
Uh, loss for the Dolphins. Is it one that brings him back down to earth? And Mr. Irrelevant is very relevant. The NFL next. The Beat of Sports are brought to you by Gentry's Barbecue General Store, uh, your place for all your grilling needs. I was texting Chris some pictures of the Friday night meal at Redfish Grill, and he was angry at me. Mm. It's like, dude, what, you know, what's going on? Bring something back. Um, yeah. What do you got? Knock, knock. What do you got? Baker Mayfield. What do you got? Expected to be released. Mm. Okay. Uh, he, too, joining the transfer portal. Uh, UCF linebacker Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste is the latest to post. Um, by the way, can I read you? I mean, not, he doesn't write this, but what is common in 99% of these? Mm-hmm. I love the, with that said. Yeah. <laughs> I will be answering. Just say it. With that said, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, but uh, with a year left of eligibility, um, he's got the free fifth year. He has entered his name into the transfer portal. By the way, let me just say this, and, and and that's not in reference to him. You can go back. You don't have to, yeah. You so can there go are see players the that enter the transfer portal to legally have communication with teams. Now, many have had communication, but there are players that enter their name into the transfer portal and have communication and can go back, whether they go back to their team and say, look, I have a chance to go play there for this. Do you want to match that? I, I don't know. But there are players that, that have done that and can do that. doesn't mean that uh, some of your favorite players are going to do that. Uh, but remember, if you're seeing your team, Florida, Florida State, whatever, with a number of players that are posting on social media uh, news of entering the transfer portal, just know your team is – bringing in players you may not know who they are now and you may not know who they are even after it's announced but your team's doing the same thing so right now you have hundreds and hundreds of players entering the transfer portal and you have hundreds and hundreds of players that are quickly finding teams and that's that's the that's the era of college football that uh we are in um Yesterday in the National Football League. Giants had a statement tie. Listen, I'm telling you right now, that was a massive tie. Okay? Mock it all you want, baby. But right now, Scott, there are four division leaders in the NFC. The Philadelphia Eagles at 11-1. The Vikings are 10-2. The 49ers with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Very relevant now. Mm-hmm. Um... And it won five in a row, sitting at eight and four. And your five and six Tampa Bay Buccaneers. By the way, did you happen to see who the Niners signed yesterday? Oh, Josh Johnson. One of the greatest quarterback journeys. And if this guy doesn't write a book, I don't know what. Join the San Francisco 49ers as uh, he was signed to be the backup quarterback in San Francisco. The age of 36. I think I'm going to do this every single time. Ready? You can should. I, can I read it? Yes. Here are the list of teams for Josh Johnson. <clears throat> Beginning in 2008, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, San Francisco 49ers, Sacramento Mountain Lions, 
Uh, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, 49ers, Bengals, Jets, Colts, Bills, Ravens, Giants, Texans, Raiders, Redskins, then known as Redskins, San Diego Fleet, Detroit Lions, Los Angeles Wildcats, 49ers, Jets, Ravens, Broncos, 49ers. So this is his fourth stint with the Niners. That is correct. Does he still have a locker from the previous three and by the way, By the way, age 36. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's a movie there. It's unbelievable. Good for this guy. Yeah. Good for this guy. Anyway, those four division leaders, and then there are three wild cards, Scott. The Cowboys are 9-3 and three in a comfortable position. Here's the second wild card today. This team, yeah. right here. Okay? 7-4-1, setting that half game up on the Seahawks, who are 7-5. and five. The Commanders are 7-5-1. and one. They played one more game uh, than uh, the Giants. So a statement tie yesterday, Scott. Yeah. Let it be known. That's how you get it done. Exactly. Um, Dolphins did not have a sharp tool yesterday. He's 18 of 35 for 295, couple of touchdowns. And San Francisco has been really good in the second half. They finally gave up points. A fourth quarter touchdown to Miami. Brock Purdy, by the way, coming in for Jimmy Garoppolo, out again for the year. 25-37, 210, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, didn't get a lot out of Christian McCaffrey uh, running the ball, but got catching eight for 80 and a touchdown. Um, and Dolphins had no rushing attack yesterday, ran for 33 yards. Tyree Kill had a big day, nine for 146. And this is part of Miami's stretch here where you knew the schedule was going to be tough. But for the Dolphins, okay, lose to San Francisco, now... You stay out west, you play the Chargers on Sunday night before going to Buffalo. And when you take a look, with that loss, Buffalo's win at New England, the Bills are up by a game on the Dolphins, the Jets, who lost to the Vikings yesterday, sit at 7-5. and five. Dolphins still can win the division. Sitting game by Buffalo, but again, the, 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 the tough schedule sitting in front of them. Of course, when you look at uh, football games yesterday, without even without even knowing anything about the Chargers game, what did it come down to? It's a one possession game again, and they lost the Raiders twenty seven twenty because that's every Chargers um, football game. Um, the Jaguars they get rolled by the Lions, who, by the way. Two games back, but kind of still in things in the wild card race there. Um, and elsewhere, Eagles, they got their 11th win, beat the Titans, who've lost a couple in a row now. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson hurt, not expected to be for the season, but they went an ugly 10-9 game against the Broncos. Um, Deshaun Watson was not great, but his Browns beat the Texans. I like how the story I'm reading is, and Watson was booed by Texans fans. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Are we surprised by that? 12 for 22 for 131 in a very uh, average at best day. Um, and then the Bengals beat the Chiefs in what was the late afternoon game of the day. And the Bengals beat the Chiefs again. For the third straight time. It's a huge Bengal win. Joe Burrow was 25 of 31 for 286. And a uh, big win for Cincinnati. Because on the AFC side, 
Remember, people thought, well, you know, the Bengals last year. Eh. Well, they're eight and two since starting the season, zero and two, and now eight and four with the Ravens at eight and four, and with Lamar Jackson being hurt, and it's four in a row for the Bengals. Um, yeah, suddenly Cincinnati finds himself in a pretty good spot, and the Chiefs and the Bills are nine and three. Bengals have a tie break there, so suddenly Cincinnati's not out of the mix. If you're thinking of the top spot in uh, the AFC. Tonight, Bucks take on the Saints. We have uh, coverage beginning at seven. At seven. Yep, kick just after eight o'clock. Just after that. Yes. World Cup update, brought to you by our friend. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. Eleven o'clock hour. WYGM Orlando. WJRR HD two Coco Beach. Orlando sports leader Mardano's in the beat of sports. Scott in the last hour entered, came back out, thought about entering again in the transfer portal. Where are you at right now? I'm weighing my options. Uh, yeah, like I've been like talking it. to my people about the situation. Mm-hmm. So my people are reaching out to teams right now. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm fielding some offers right now. Okay. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um. With all that being said... Oh, I love that line. I would love that line. In every transfer portal announced by a player, I love the, I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody. With that being said, just say, I love everybody, now I plan on entering the transfer portal. What about the, you see, you see this sometimes too, the, I appreciate uh, if you just let me make my decision first and then I'll be responding. Oh, that one? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the next thing that I also uh, get a chuckle out of. Ready? The player puts the transfer portal thing out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's this nice graphic and a picture, right? And then the fan's like, go get yours, good man. We love you and so forth. Why don't you mean what you really say, okay? Thanks for screwing us at this position, okay? Really? Thanks. I mean, that's what 98% of you really think, you know? But, uh, yeah. This is true. You go be you. Thanks for everything. Uh Uh-huh. Now what do you really feel You don't believe that? Because your burner account at three tweets below is what you're really saying. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, guess who's back? Uh, Magic Johnson. With his 55.17 rebound performance, Anthony Davis leads the NBA MVP race. I love that AD and LeBron are playing great at the same time and making their teammates great. This is why the Lakers have been winning lately. Hmm. Okay. Well, they're uh, eight and two of their last ten. Uh, what's not to like, Mark? Yeah. <sighs> well, what's not to like is the team that's lost eight in a row that sits at five and nineteen. That would be our magic. You know, things turn around eventually. You know what? As much as I. As much as I wish for transparency when it comes to the injuries and things like that, mm-hmm. there's a part of me for the magic. I just, no. I don't even want to read the injured list because when you read why guys are out, and I don't, Scott, please tell me this sounds right. I don't want anybody to suffer serious injury. I don't want anybody to go ACL Broken leg, broken arm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I can't read the, you know, knee soreness, uh, calf contusion. It's like, 
I don't even want to know that. Like, if you're going to be out, give me something, you know, meaningful here. Give me an appendage that is barely hanging on. <laughs> you know? Slight yeah. migraine. Hangnail. Pinky nail cut. I mean, I, if you're out, be out, baby, okay? Give me something that you're out on, all right? I don't want to hear muscle spasm. Go ahead. I mean, you can't even say, like, stub toe. We already did a stub toe. Go ahead. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State will play for the national championship after being chosen for the college football playoff. After not playing in a conference championship game, the Buckeyes moved up one spot following USC's loss in the Pac-12 title game on Friday to give the Big Ten two playoff teams for the first time in the format's nine-year history. Number four, Ohio State will face number one, Georgia, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And number two, Michigan will face number three, TCU, in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl on December 31st. Tonight's guest for the Manning cast will be Robin Roberts. Okay. Randy Moss. Dana White. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Huh? Um, All right. So when does uh, what the playoff committee uh, coming out and saying USC because you lost... Uh, why will uh, conferences still have championship games? Why will they? Yeah. One, they make a lot of money, and two, in the new playoff models I explained earlier, mm-hmm. there's a value to winning it because, again, the top four teams, if the 24 playoff models in place, are Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and Utah because they won conference championships. The six highest-rated conference champions get an automatic bid. And the top four seeds all are the highest four conference champions. So that's the value of that. But, now, but, now, yeah. but we could also have a somehow fluky four-loss team win a conference championship and take down an undefeated team, and then they're in the playoff, and then there's the outcry. But the undefeated team now it, in 24 would, would still, still make get the in. Yeah, and by the way, Utah's three losses. I know. And they would be the fourth seed in the new playoff model. Yeah. Deion Sanders fired up a crowd of alumni boosters, former players, and other VIPs celebrating his hire as Colorado's new head football coach. Uh, He had uh, uh, motivational sayings that he promised will soon adorn the walls inside the football complex, and he vowed to lead the Buffaloes back to prominence after going 27-5 in three seasons at Jackson State. Oh, and he announced that his son is going to be the new quarterback. Followed by the, he's got to earn it, followed by the, my other son, I'm mad at, I didn't bring him. And followed by him telling his current Colorado players, hey, you guys should join the transfer portal. He did look (laughs) at a 111 team and basically said, I would find the link to that thing if i were you if you don't have the link i've got paper copies of it right here there's some computers over there that's already signed in for you yeah mike huganin who is uh uh on with mike now is on mondays and i have great respect for mike from on3.com this is not a criticism of Deion sanders brand that is what colorado hired here not that he doesn't know football but um We'll see the, 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 the transition. One for Dion. And when the dust settles, everyone goes, well, every kid's going to want to go play for Dion Sanders. Keep in mind, you have an athletic director that openly said he doesn't have the money to pay Dion what he's paying him. 
He thinks he's going to get it because of donors wanting to get aboard. Uh, Colorado was way behind in NIL to begin with, within its conference. And while Dion is going to bring you that shot of adrenaline, I'm still not quite sure it's going to lead to the instant results. Because while Dion probably has a number of players that are inquiring like, hey, I want to come play for you, those players are going to have to ask the question that a few of them have in leverage, meaning if you have value on the open market, just because Deion Sanders is the coach at Colorado, if you get a chance to make more money at school X, Y, and Z, you're going to school X, Y, and Z. So, you know, Colorado gets the headlines right now, but there still is a learning curve for Dion and the brand at Colorado. This isn't like instant hey, we're now set to compete with Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama for players. That that that, that isn't happening. Any thoughts on uh, South Florida finding a football coach? Well, I said Alec Golich played, uh, not played, coached a year at UCF under Josh Heupel. He came in, in the second year. Um, I got to know Alex, you know, a little bit over the time here. Nice guy. Wish him well. The, the Twitter war of who called plays, I think Alex was involved. Josh Heupel calls everything, you know. Whoever may have called the play to the quarterback or gave a signal, that's Josh Heupel's offense. That doesn't mean that Alex Goldish can't be head coach. It is not the splash hire that people in South Florida were thinking about. I think their school, and I think I know why they did it, I think they let the Deion stuff get out there because it looked as if they were going after Deion Sanders. By the way, I think had he taken the South Florida job, may have had a better path to another P5 job, which is why I do think Deion took, Colorado, because I think he felt like he wasn't getting serious looks of other vacancies. Um, but I don't know if that's a home run hire to get them to where they want to go, one, on the field, and two, to raising three to $400 million for a stadium that right now is a bunch of pictures that doesn't necessarily translate to money. So, Jalen Brunson scored 23 points, and the Knicks snapped a five-game home losing streak with a 90- 90... 92-81 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Knicks ne- never trailed in the contest as they held an opponent under 100 points for the first time this season. Julius Randle scored... Clearly a city motivated with a giant tie. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Julius Randle scored 18 points and R.J. Barrett added 15 as New York held the Cavaliers to a season-low point total and field goal percentage of 34.9%. By the way, the Packers win over the Bears makes them the winningest franchise in NFL history. Now 787 wins the Bears 786. Okay. Uh, looks like Cristiano Ronaldo is going to sign that $200 million per year deal. Uh, to play in Saudi Arabia. And join Dustin Johnson's live golf team. <laughs> uh, you talked about this. The Giants ended a two-game losing skid with a tie I'm gonna guess the Washington I hope Bears. he realizes there's no out in this deal. Uh, yeah, there's none. I don't know that, but I, 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 I would imagine there's no out. Uh, for the second time this season, the San Francisco 49ers 
have lost their starting quarterback to a season-ending injury. This time it's a broken foot for Jimmy Garoppolo, who had already been three careers worth of injuries and was amid one of the best stretches of his professional career. Rookie Brock Purdy replaced Garoppolo and threw his first NFL touchdown pass on his first drive, and he is fullback for a four-yard score. He finished 25 of 37 for 210 yards, two scores with an interception. With Garoppolo and Trey Lance a loss for the season, Purdy is the Niners' new starter, though they did just sign Josh Johnson from the Broncos practice squad. Fred McGriff gets in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah! I, that, that was committee. my next story. Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, former big league slugger and Tom Amansky spokesman, Fred McGriff. Remember, he was in those videos about back-to-back-to-back national champions. Right. I was selected as the newest member of the Baseball Hall of Fame on Sunday with Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling denied again. McGriff was a unanimous selection among the 16 members of the inaugural Contemporary Baseball Name Era the Committee. Name five teams Fred McGriff played for. Braves. Rays? He never. He didn't up on the Rays like their like inaugural year when they were the oh, Devil oh, Rays. Oh, I'm sorry. He, uh, he did. I'm sorry. He played. A, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. I'm a, I, I I like the crime Rays dog. Played five I, years. I was looking at his numbers here in, in the National League. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry. Six teams. My bad. My bad. Uh, you know why I got that wrong? Although it's it, it's all on me. Yeah. Baseball Reference still has TBD for Devil Rays. Oh. So it's uh, Rays, Braves, Blue Jays, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers. Fred McGriff hit 493 home runs. He got in on this other committee. Mm -hmm. It's designed to help guys like him get in. Uh, Bonds, Schilling, Clemens did not get the votes from this committee. Uh, Fred McGriff, 493 home runs. Never had a 40 home run season. Um, He'd be one of the interesting ones of my argument. You get one shot only. And well, based on the one shot only, he didn't get in. Exactly. He had his shot. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get in. Um, and, and it's a longevity thing with McGriff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the home run totals, he did hit 30 home runs at the age of 38 in 2002 with the Cubs. Um, but, yeah. That's it. On the news, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Just go there and leave us a five-star rating. Do you run into any uh, news heads in New Orleans? Oh, all over. I mean, couldn't even walk down the street without... Um... Hey, news head right here! We were walking back from uh, Cafe Du Monde Saturday morning. It's always interesting, the French Quarter on a Saturday morning, you know? Fog, a little bit of sunrise, that chlorine smell in the street. They're trying to wash away the vomit and the urine from the night before that's mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. Interesting characters. The one guy that walked by that said, look what I found in the garbage. Oh. And I was like, cool. Yeah. I had that going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, that guy was in out there. <laughs> this guy just asked about somebody else from the last time I was in New Orleans. This is a... Uh, this is a four New Orleans athletic year. Four yeah. trips. Football twice and basketball and baseball. So, um, All right. We come uh, back uh, much more to get to. A little bit of a bridge playback coming up in about 20 minutes of the Beat of Sports.
Beat It Sports, Mark Daniels on this uh, Monday, yesterday, outside of the uh, playoff committee announcing the four teams that will play in the playoffs. Also, the bowl lineup was uh, introduced. Um, our next guest has been a good friend for years, uh, and yet I, I also have an incredible level of respect. When Alan Gooch had an idea to put on a bowl game, a lot of people kind of said, well, I mean, good luck, and it's a challenge. And he entered it at a very challenging time, and a lot of people said, I don't think he can do it. And uh, yet he's uh, put a group together that supported him and had a great cause uh, to help fight breast cancer and breast cancer awareness to uh, raise money. And they've done that. And by the way, in the last few years, they've not just put on a bowl game. They've actually had some great matchups, and he gets another good one. Uh, UT San Antonio is a really good program with great support. Troy has great uh, history, and both are champions as they come here for the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl on Friday, December the 16th, uh, to play at Exploria Stadium. And Alan joins us uh, to talk about that. So uh, I hope that didn't make you blush, but welcome and good morning. And congrats on I know, uh, an exciting matchup for you guys. <laughs> No, I appreciate it, Mark. No blush. You know, let me know who who thought it, it couldn't happen, though. You know, we, we can take those guys out. Uh, yeah, but again, you. <laughs> but but I mean, you've dealt with a lot, and and again, uh, you get a, a good matchup against. I'm going to ask to share whatever you can about how that came about and when you learned with your ESPN partner. Um, hey, these are the two teams, and you have to be excited the way these teams have finished their year. Oh, no doubt about it, Mark. I uh, really appreciate you and all your support. You've, you've been there since the beginning, so don't want to leave you out as you are one of those people that have supported us the whole way and helped us get to where we are. We can't do it without getting the message out, so we really appreciate all you do in that regard. Uh, you know, the only bowl that's got two conference champions matched up, obviously the um, – you know, the college football playoff could have two conference champions match up at some point, but the only one right now. And uh, we're, we're very excited about that. Um, to echo you, Troy's got a lot of great history, a lot of great um, support. Um, we're, we're looking for Troy Trojans to, to be here, strong here in Orlando. And UTSA, as you said, you know, back-to-back conference USA champions. They're going to be in the American next year. They're very excited about their program and, and what's going on. They actually were lobbying hard to be here uh, in Florida for a bowl. So uh, we're excited. Alan, uh, again, you never know a season is going to go, and uh, the, the process of selection has changed. It used to be you get conference tie-ins and all that stuff. Can you share a little bit about how that's evolved? And while you do have some partners, you always got to be ready for a curveball to be thrown, don't you? Absolutely, Mark. Uh, you know, ESPN events is, uh, well, ESPN in general is obviously very heavily invested in college football. They televise 35 of the 40 bowls down and operate 17. They have conference television rights agreements with all the conferences at some level. And, um, you know, so they have the rights to choose and, and put uh, and make matchups. And so we were very happy that they wanted to have the only conference champion matchup here in Orlando. Um, you know, we were uh, honored that, that we're chosen for that. Now, that doesn't take anything away from any of the bowls and what they're doing. You know, ESPN is going to work with conference partners and the bowl partners itself. They want to make the, the matchups as strong as they can geographically. And uh, obviously, Troy helps us in that regard, being only six hours away and a drive up. But, um, you know, they, they do, ESPN has, has done a great job of making matchups so that they're appealing to the audience nationally. And we, we have a, a great, I have a great feeling that we're going to be able to break the uh, viewership record uh, for G5 Bowls this year. Um, Alan, 
uh, every bowl does work in the community. It's important. It's part of uh, um, you know their agreement to exist. Uh, you guys uh, have proudly uh, talked about your bowl and what it does to help raise money for something very important. And um, I'm going to ask you to share that because again, some bowls they got a foundation to work in the community. You put your name on it, and uh, well, you partner to it. So as people buy tickets to support this bowl, can you share where that goes? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, we we uh, and we and we are proud of, of what we're doing here because we want everybody to understand the integrity behind the game and, and the way it's going. So through the platform of the Cure Bowl itself, uh, 3.8 million dollars has been raised so far. So we're we're hoping to get to that 4 million mark. Because I am actually getting a little tired of saying 3. Point something. So we need to get to that 4 million mark. Uh, a lot, 1.2 million of that has stayed right here in Central Florida with Dr. Annette Khalid at the UCF Cancer Research Center. Dr. Khalid is the head of cancer research there, and uh, we've been a big part of that, and, we, and and just honored to be a part of that. I wake up every day uh, looking at a, a, a bracelet I have on my uh, wrist and think about Dr. Khalid's research and that you know what our efforts are, are are to shovel money to her and we do that through selling tickets and sponsorships through uh, the Cure Bowl. Um, we start with a march to cure at historic Church Street Station. Uh, Mayor Dyer, whose mother is a breast cancer survivor, is uh, he had a proclamation last year and he turned Church Street Station into Cure Bowl Way on Cure Bowl Day. And so we're uh, we're going to start our our march at uh, Hamburger Mary's right down there at, at uh, Historic Church Street with both college bands and all of our survivors, thrivers, and heroes. And we're going to do a hero march for three blocks to Exploria Stadium, and uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be you know it's fun. The parade has grown each year, and we anticipate it's going to be strong. Uh, we actually have a title sponsor for our parade as well, Owens Corning. And so you'll see the Pink Panther out front with all the rest of the sport mascots in town. And, and that's how we kick it off. It's City Skip Day on Friday, December 16th. Uh, two final questions. Again, Alan Gooch is with us uh, from the Cure Bowl. You can go to com, get ticket information, all the events that Alan had just um, uh, talked about. We are entering a different year in a couple of years, Alan, with a 12-team college football playoff. Bowls will survive. It'll be interesting to see how some of the major bowls adjust to what is going to be an interesting schedule. But there is a place for games like yours. And as I've said, if you don't want to watch 40 bowl games, don't watch. But um, it's content. It's college football. As you look at the model of where bowls are going, tell me what you see down the road. Well, you you make a great part, Mark. I know we've talked about this from time to time, you know, over the years, the expanding bowls. Um, You know, I think that we're probably at the right number right now. Um, and yes, the CFP. It looks like uh, first-round games are going to be played at home uh, um, home venues. But I, 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 there's still going to be opportunity. You know, we're looking at what we would do because we think some of those playoff games are probably going to be played that first weekend that the NCAA allows bowls to be played. And so we could easily move our game to a Tuesday. That wouldn't be a problem. But there is interest in college football for, for people out there, anybody. They, Duluth Trading is uh, is a strong partner. I mean, they're not going to title sponsor something that they don't think is going to have some eyeballs on it. So, you know, through, the, through college, college football only stands behind the NFL and popularity and viewership and ratings for television. And so, they're, like you said, I'll echo you that there is a lot of interest in it. And so we're going to continue to raise money for cancer research through it. 
Um, I want to end with this. Uh, you play college football. You coach college football a long time. Today starts an, an, an incredibly different era. The transfer portal today is finding hundreds of players enter. Uh, and it's just a different time of player movement, players that choose to play or not play in significant games and so forth. And I'm just curious your thought as someone that's been part of this game for the better part of your life, what we are watching, and accept that times change, but it certainly is a different time right now. It is, Mark. You know, I, you know, I, I, I get asked this by my teammates that I played with at UCF, former players that had the opportunity to coach at UCF. Now, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, I, I think from a player standpoint, it, it's a little different now than it used to be. I think if you know when you when you said you were going to transfer and you weren't going to help your team win a conference championship, it would have been hard to to uh, ride on the bus with that guy. You know, I, that's just you know. But it's a different world, you know. And and uh, free agency is uh, when it enters the professional ranks, and it's pretty much entered the college ranks now and it's just something you got to deal with it it's, it's a different look it's apparently you know players aren't uh, that upset about it you know that um, they had their moment and their time together and this is uh, gonna you know the next game could be a whole different team I, you know again I don't get it but it's a different it's a, it's a different world uh, the uh, bowl game will take place on uh, Friday, December the 16th, the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. If you go to curebowl.com, you can uh, read about ticket information, all the events happening around the uh, bowl itself. Uh, learn also about uh, the incredible cause, uh, that, and they're going to get over $4 million after this year that they've uh, helped raise for cancer research. Alan, always good catching up. Best of luck this bowl season. We'll talk again. Mark, thank you so much for everything you do. We really appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Alan Gooch, come back. A, a little uh, bridge playback from this morning is next. You know, I'm a big simple minds guy. I know you are, yeah. Crank up some Sanctify Yourself after this. And that's a double shot party right there, man. Wow. The Beat of Sports, Mark Daniels on this uh, Monday. Double Shot Tuesday, songs from great 80s movies. Don't tease me, bro. I'm surprised we actually haven't done that. Tomorrow is Tuesday. <laughs> uh, you know what tomorrow is? Uh, First Tuesday of December. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brought to you by Seminole Power Sports, number one in fast fun, Reinhardt Road in Sanford, Highway 441 in Eustace. I'm on at Seminole Power Sports. Great time, holiday season. Uh, go check out everything they have to offer. Say to Kirby and the great staff at Seminole Power Sports. We thank them. They're just great partners, and uh, I appreciate all of you that have gone out and supported Seminole Power Sports. On Mondays, we'd like to play a clip back from the bridge that Mike and I discussed uh, earlier today, and as you can imagine, the story of UCF and Mikey Keene was a big topic, and here's a clip in the bridge playback. When Gus made the decision that John Rice Plumley would be the starter, mm-hmm. those two, like any quarterback and coach, you would think have a conversation. While Twitter wanted to have you believe that there's some sort of agreement and written agreement, the ebbs and flows and journey of a season, Mike, make a conversation in July and August... Maybe much different when you get to September, October, November, and December. Would you agree? Yes. And clearly there was a plan 
early in the season. Any fan watching or anybody observing UCF football, Thomas Castellanos played in early season games, not Mikey yep. Keene, and people mm-hmm. wondered about that. Yeah. Well, again, did Gus and Mikey have conversations, one, about why he chose John Rice to be the starter, two, about a plan that if Mikey wanted to see how the season goes along and possibly redshirt, okay, how might we handle that? Hey, if we need you, maybe we'll look at the back end of the schedule, which was much more challenging for UCF. Not that non-conference games against Georgia Tech and mm-hmm. Louisville didn't matter, but Cincinnati and Memphis and Tulane uh, and South Florida rival game. And guess who played in the back end of the season? Mikey Keene did. Mm-hmm. Comes in the Cincinnati game, which UCF has to win. They have mm-hmm. to win. They, they, they lost a week before East Carolina and helps them win. Starts mm-hmm. and wins the game at Memphis because John Rice Plumlee couldn't play because of the hit that he took in the Cincinnati mm-hmm. game. You have to win the Navy game at that moment because you want to control your own destiny. Yeah, Things those, don't yeah, go exactly. well. Plumlee's not healthy. Keene comes in. They don't win. South Florida game, people saw what happened. And I will say this. There's so much more to this story that, 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 that people are making assumptions of. Some of it I can't share because of my position. If people think I owe it to you to tell you that, then that's okay. What are, I mean, what are, what are some assumptions people are making? Well, just uh, uh, an agreement, what was said, what was not said. Um, like I heard you say, we, someone text in that, 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 that I should tell you, when did Gus Malzahn know that Mikey Keene wasn't going to play? Look, Gus Malzahn said what he felt he needed to say throughout the week, as did Mikey Keene. You played a clip of Mikey Keene after the South Florida football game when he was asked by a couple of members of the media. He gave an answer. Did he carefully choose his words? Did he get caught up in the emotion of winning that game and being in Let's the spotlight he, again? He, he said, I don't know if we have the clip, but he was asked, you know, would he be willing to burn a red shirt if it if John Rice Plumley was not available in the conference championship game? And I I think his exact okay, here's quote was yet yeah. well, Okay, here it is. Here's a clip. Coach Malzahn said John Rice is dealing with a hamstring injury. This was your fourth appearance of the season. Is that something you think about in terms of your redshirt at all? Uh, you know what, no, because ultimately I just want to play and win games and do whatever I can to help this team win. So that's nothing that's on my mind right now. Uh, just we're going to the championship. That's what's on my mind. So John Rice can't go next week. You're perfectly fine to play your fifth game and may potentially burn a redshirt? Yeah, let's go win a championship. Okay. Uh, you know, again. Uh, let's go win a championship. Is he caught up in the emotion of the moment? Uh, was that his thought after the game? Did he change his mind a day or two later? Um, was he part of the plan on Sunday to play in the football game? Was he not? Gus Malzahn and Mikey Keene clearly had discussions, and that's between them. If you think that both parties owe you an explanation, then that's your right to think that. Um, and you may never get that answer. And uh, and as I wrote... You know what, else, you know, you know what other answer we're not going to ever get? If Mikey Keene had played, would you see if right. he won? Uh, you can catch the rest of the conversation Mike and I had about that and college football playoff and some other things. Uh, go to 96thegame.com uh, or when you get your favorite podcast, just uh, type in The Bridge. Scott, you know if you type in The Bridge, there's like a logo that comes up with Mike's name and my name and you click that on yeah. and, and and the little guy on your phone, like he turns he, in his big library and he goes, here. Mm-hmm. It's like a Pez dispenser. Whoa. You know, like you open the neck and out comes a piece of candy. <laughs> you were a big Pez guy, weren't you? I was never a big Pez guy once in a while, though. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like you didn't collect them? 
No. Like, this is my A-team Pez collection. No, 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 no. You? Uh, I think I have a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They still make them. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you can hear the rest of the bridge uh, at 96thegame.com where you get your favorite podcast. Pez doesn't go bad, right? Little candies? I don't think so. If you go to 96thegame.com, you can check out the Monday Notebook, the column that I wrote today. It also talks about UCF and uh, uh, Mikey Keene. And as I said in the bridge there, said on our show, wrote in the column today, I think that most fans that are college football fans have come to accept that it is a different time in the sport. And as I've said many times about not just sports but things in life, change usually happens at a faster pace than you're willing to accept. When something happens that takes a different path, you're the one that has to adjust quicker. And in college football, it has been very quickly in a a few years, not like a 20-year evolution, but very quickly in the last few years about the transfer portal rule changes, and player movement. When players did not have the ability of a free transfer, the process, remember this, and this isn't 20 years ago. This is just a few years ago. You had to apply to transfer. And some conferences allowed schools to stop you from transferring. Now that just sounds ridiculous. Or you can transfer but not within our conference. Major conferences have that rule. Or here's a list of places you can't transfer to. And then look what's happened in the last few years. Between courtroom battles, the Supreme Court making a decision, COVID came, and the NCAA said, look, you got a free year of eligibility. I mean, this year was a challenge for everybody, and here's a free year of eligibility for you. Then, then along the way, the the rule was changed to allow you to have a free transfer. You don't need to ask us for a waiver. And then we determined, do you have a sick relative that lives somewhere within a 50-mile radius of the school? I mean, you look back now, not 30 years, five years ago, and go, we were asking questions like that? If a player could go from one school to the next, remember, well, he's got a sick aunt. Well, how many days does he visit the aunt? We were asking dumb questions like that. So then we had the one free transfer. Well, then the NCAA basically said, stop yelling at us about the rules that you don't like. You know what? Do whatever you want. And now you could transfer anytime you want, anywhere, as many times as you want. That change happened far quicker than most people could adapt to those changes. So, again, you love it when... You get the guy, and I've seen people write this on on Twitter over the weekend, and it is kind of funny. Scott, would you agree? When you lose a guy, eh, he wasn't that good. Never wanted him. You know, probably overrated. Mm-hmm. When you get a guy underappreciated by his team, yeah. we got ourselves a diamond in the rough here. Right? I mean, so, so that change has happened really fast. And it should tell us this, that in two or three years, not 20 or 30, in two and three years, we're going to look back and go, wait, so in 2022, that's what we thought. And maybe there'll be more guidelines, and maybe there'll be somebody to enforce the rules. 
but that's what's happened here. And you look, whether it's Mikey Keene, who didn't play in a conference championship game, you wait and see teams that are going to be playing in bowl games in less than two weeks and in the next month. You're going to see some teams that are down 25, 30 guys because players have entered the portal or the guys are opting out because they think they're going to get drafted or don't want to burn a red shirt. You're going to have teams that are going to scramble to play. In fact, they're going to – mark my words. If your team is one of those teams that say 6-6, six 7-5, and 8-4 six, and, and you know not playing for a playoff spot or a New Year's Six Bowl – you will have guys that either played in zero, one, two, three games that are going to maybe start in your bowl game that are redshirting this year. Why? Because you need them. You don't have those two left tackles anymore or those three linebackers. Those are going to be players playing in bowl games this year. And that's okay. Yeah, but, uh, you know... (laughs) Of our 22 starters, 14 aren't playing. Well, then maybe bowls will change in the coming years. Maybe they'll go to the beginning of the season. Maybe that model will be different. Change happens quickly. We're the ones that have a challenge adapting to change. Put a wrap on our program next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, a couple of items and notes and quotes before we uh, call it a day. We're in extra time. Additional extra time. In the knockout stage, you must have a winner. And the match going on between Japan and Croatia, we are said to begin what will be 30 minutes of extra time, two 15-minute segments. And then, of course, if we still do not have a winner, we're going to penalty kicks. Luka Modric was born looking 37, right? Uh, good-looking tan, though. Very. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, that's Croatia and Japan, Brazil and Korea playing the second match today. Morocco, Spain, Portugal, and Switzerland tomorrow to complete the round of 16 to get to a quarterfinal play. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here for you? As Scott mentioned earlier, Baker Mayfield's been released by the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. The Niners have Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, mm-hmm. very relevant yesterday in the win over the Dolphins, signed Josh Johnson off the Broncos practice squad, his fourth stint with the Niners. Could Baker head west? Everyone's been trying to connect the dots on that. When's the last time he connected dots? And it's been way too long. Way too long. Maybe I need to re-up that uh, Highlights Magazine subscription. Hmm. It's where you learn all the best animal facts. Everyone knows that. Sham Sharani reporting that uh, Trey Young got into a little bit of a exchange with Nate McMillan. Oh. The team shoot-around on Friday then chose to not attend the game against the Nuggets later that night. Young, nursing a shoulder injury, chose to not attend the game. Um, McMillan... Apparently not happy with it, uh, and perhaps something brewing mm. in Atlanta. Mm. Well, Shams has also reported that uh, Nike has severed all ties with Kyrie Irving. Yes. Uh, Violent Night. Yes. 
I guess had a good weekend of the box office. Debuting at number two behind Black Panther. The Christmas action movie. It's not a horror movie, it's just a Christmas action movie. Action comedy is what the uh, mm. industry's calling it, Scott. Okay. Action comedy. Any fun movies on the plane or airport? Uh, no, this particular airline did not offer any Wi-Fi services. Gotcha. Anything funny? Not wa- our typical airline that we travel. The conference handled this one. Mm, gotcha. Nothing like the, we got to get out because the fog is rolling in New Orleans and mm. we can't get caught in that fog. Yeah. So maybe we don't. You know, on the screening process, have to open up every single compartment of every piece of bag to look inside to see what is going on there that we <laughs> did. You know, I mean, you can't exactly go, please take your seat so we can take off. We don't want to get caught with the fog and delay here. And then you look outside, there's still 80 people waiting in line to be screened. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Uh, miss any of today's program, be sure to check us online at 96thegame.com. Or download the program when you get your favorite podcast. You can have that sent to you every single day. Uh, and check out today's Monday Notebook at 969thegame.com. Tomorrow, Matt Michelle's weekly college football visit. Ryan Snyder, the former UCF quarterback, is again taking his Cocoa High School football team to a state championship. Uh, we'll talk to Ryan among our guests on the Tuesday program. Thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate your time. Scott produced. I'm Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.